Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our live broadcast. We're becoming more advanced here. As you can see, there's a little window up here now that shows the room, shows the meditators who are here. Right now we've got three meditators, but only one of them is coming to listen. The other thing is up here, you should see a little eye with a circle. And that now has a link to our site in it, hopefully. But you have to hover over it. If you hover over the video, you'll see an eye. And it says more info. And if you go to more info, you should see a link to our site. That's how YouTube does links. Tonight's Dhamma is Anguttara Nikaya Book of Fours, Sutta 14. Chattarimani Bhikkave Padhanani. There are these four strivings. Four ways of striving. Striving, of course, big part of what makes us who we are, what do we strive for? Do we strive at all? How much do we strive? Are we lazy or are we ambitious? What are our goals in life? In Buddhism we have four, well here the Buddha gives four types of striving that are of spiritual benefit. These are the kinds of striving, the kind of work that you can do to better yourself spiritually. And spiritually just means bringing about better mental health, more peace of mind, clarity of mind, freeing yourself from the bonds, bondage, which we talked about last night. So what are the four kinds of striving in Buddhism? Sangvara padhanam, striving to restrain. Pahana padhanam, striving to abandon. Number three, bhavana padhanam, striving to cultivate. And number four, Anurakarna Padhanam, striving to protect. Restraint, abandonment, development, and protection. These are the four ways. And they, they each describe a different facet of the practice or a different way of looking at the meditation practice or the, the path in general. So restraint is in regards to the senses. And this is this famous quote that comes back again and again. Not famous, but it's one that I keep bringing up again and again. This common quote of the Buddha is, 
Ida bhikkhave bhikkhu chakuna rupang diswa, having seen a form with the eye. Nanimita gahi nanubhi, nanimita gahi hoti, nanubhyanjana gahi. He is not one or she is not one who grasps at the signs or one who grasps at the particulars, meaning it's just seeing. We don't make more out of it than that. This is the whole of the practice. The challenge of trying to just see things as they are, to keep it real, keep our experience, our, our interaction with reality to just re what's real, to just the bare reality. To not have any speculation or belief or view or attachment or aversion or identification. Because uh, when you leave the eye unguarded in this way, when you do delve into the particulars, what is it I'm seeing? Is it good? Is it bad? That's nice. That's not nice. That's beautiful. That's ugly. And then the Buddha says, Abhijja domanasa papaka kusula dhamma anvasaveyom they might uh, attack or enter into the mind. Oh, sorry. Abhijja Domanasa, uh, liking and disliking, basically, or wanting and aversion, and all evil dhammas, evil unwholesome things, all the problems, the causes of our suffering, they will all arise. They will all attack the mind. So when one practices restraint, seeing, let seeing just be seeing, keep the mind at just seeing. Guard the eye, guard the ear, guard the nose, the tongue, guard the body and guard the mind. You guard these six doors. And free yourself, keep yourself protected. You keep yourself protected from the dangers that come from clinging and aversion, the suffering that comes from you know, from our our bad habits of mind. That's number one. Number two, pahana padhana through abandoning another way of looking at it is we strive to abandon so we strive to guard it's the first one that sort of means is striving it's the hard work that we're doing here is reminding ourselves it's just seeing and that kind of striving is striving to abandon abandon what? Ida bhikkhavi bhikkhu upanang kamavitakam nadivaseti pajahati vinodeti Payanti karoti anabhavangameti Upanangkamavitakkam nadivaseti pajahati vinodeti We used to chant this. An arisen thought of sensuality 
one doesn't bear it nadivasiti one abandons it pajati vinodeti dispels it bhyanti karoti uh, makes an end to it Anabhavangamiti causes it to go to cessation, makes it cease. So when there's a desire arises, one dispels it, one doesn't give it quarter, doesn't chase after it or allow it to take root. It's mindful, seeing liking as liking, wanting as wanting and not uh, not giving it room to grow upanang bhyapadavitakam the same goes with thoughts of aversion or disliking hatred, ill will and doesn't bear a thought of ill will don't let it take root don't identify with it don't take it as your own see it clearly as just a thought of anger and let it go abandon it don't take these things on and the same goes with vihingsa vitaka these are the three wrong sorts of thoughts vihingsa means any kind of oppressive mind state of arrogance or conceit or that kind of thing delusion based really and any kind of unwholesome dhamma upanupane papakeya kusale dhamme any kind of arisen evil unwholesome dhamma one doesn't bear them don't bear with them don't let them take root in your mind Quite simply remind yourself liking, liking, disliking, disliking you're confused or deluded or attached to something abandon it give it up number three bhavana padhana striving to cultivate so there are things that we should abandon, we should abandon these thoughts through our practice. Then what is it that we should keep? What are the good things? Buddhism isn't all about bad things. There's lots of good and healthy things that we have in our minds and that we can develop. Most important, well, what do we develop? We develop the seven bodhjangas, bodhjangas, the seven things that lead to enlightenment or factors of enlightenment. Mindfulness, we cultivate mindfulness. It's a great thing to have. It's a great tool to have. You can use it throughout your life in so many situations. When you're suffering with physical pain, when you have mental distress, when you have challenges or fears, anxieties, doubts, confusion, sati is what clears it all up.
uh, Dhamma Vichaya, discriminating between the Dhammas. So the, once you're mindful, then you're able to you're able to uh, investigate. You're able to see what is good and what is bad. Mindfulness is the cult the cultivation of objectivity. And once you're objective, you're able to see into your mind. Is this good for me? Is this bad for me? Is this worth holding on to or is this worth throwing away? Virya, you cultivate effort. Strive to cultivate effort. The effort to be mindful, really. Once you're mindful, virya just means doing it again and again. It's, it's quite a lot of work and you need effort and encouragement to continue it. Piti Sambhojanga. Piti means rapture. Rapture just means getting into a groove in this case. When you have put out the effort, eventually it becomes habitual. Mindfulness actually becomes a habit. Basadi means your mind calms down, becomes more tranquil as you practice. Because you start to work out. I mean, it doesn't feel like that at first, but you're dealing with all the chaos inside. And once you deal with it, it starts to become more orderly. And you do find yourself calming down. Samadhi, as a result of calming down, your mind becomes focused and you start to see things just as they are, arising and ceasing. You become more equanimous about things. That's the seventh. The seventh is upeka. You become, once you become more focused, then you become more equanimous, not judging things as good or bad. So this is what it means through development. So what do we have? We have restraint, restraining the senses, abandoning, abandon the defilements in the mind, development, develop the bojangas, develop good qualities of mind, starting with mindfulness. And number four, guard or protect. And this is guarding the meditation practice. Guarding guarding the meditation object. And here the Buddha talks about actually samatha meditations, which is quite interesting. Protecting, but in general it means protecting your meditation practice. So don't let go, don't stop meditating. And try to meditate throughout the day. When you find yourself doing something that takes you away from your meditation practice, be quick to come back to it. Remind yourself, when I was doing that thing, I couldn't be mindful, so now I should try harder than ever to be mindful. These are the four types of striving. Sangvaro chapahanamcha bhavana anurakana Ete padana chattaru desita dicha banduna yehi bhikkhuita ida tapi. Someone cultivates effort in regards to these kayang dukkha sabapune, they attain the destruction of suffering. The ending of suffering. Which is the only goal we're trying to aim for, you know, just the uh, complete end of suffering. There was one monk in the time of the Buddha who, well, he disrobed, but 
he went around telling people, oh, the Buddha, you know, not really worth following. All he does is teach you to end suffering. And if you follow him, all that's going to happen is you're just going to end suffering. And the Buddha shook his head and said, well, the Buddha said, you know, this guy thinking he's insulting me is actually uh, you know, doing me a favor by going around and telling people the truth. That's all we're trying to do is end suffering. And suffering doesn't come from our experiences, it comes from our minds, our reactions. So if we guard guard our, our reactions and keep our reactions neutral and learn to see things objectively, abandoning unwholesome thoughts, cultivating good qualities of mind, and guarding our practice, guarding our minds so that we don't slip. Eventually it builds up, it becomes habitual and your mind starts to shift. And eventually you're able to let go and attain Nibbāna, become enlightened, really. That's all. Alright, so that's the Dhamma for tonight. The four white kinds of striving. ได้ยินเนาะได้ยินเนาะไม่กำหนดมั้ยกำหนดไม่เป็นไรไม่ไม่ใช่ได้ยินเสียงได้ยินนะจ๊ะก็ได้ยินเนาะได้ยินเนา
Are you ready for some questions? I'm Bob? ready. Go ahead. Do we need to apply dependent origination to our walking or sitting? What is dependent origination, and why do some people say it's important to learn about it? Dependent origination is the law of cause and effect. It's basically the Four Noble Truths um, in depth. And even it's not the final, uh, even it's not the most complete. I mean, even it's still an abbreviation. To get true understanding of cause and effect or the Four Noble Truths, you have to study the Mahabhadana, which is a huge, immense, and incredibly dense work but it goes through all the different permutations and types of conditionality. There's 24 types of conditionality. Dependent origination is just a one way of a simplification, actually, just as the Four Noble Truths are an even further simplification. Um, so learning about it is useful. It's what you come to understand through the practice. It's what the Buddha came to understand. Um, an arahant need not understand it exactly as the Buddha understood it because as the Buddha understood it, it involved past lives and it involved the whole it was basically a, a summing up of samsara the essence of, of samsara and how samsara works having observed it um, but for meditators we only need to concern ourselves with this life we only really need to concern ourselves with the present moment. So, you know, the people talk about Paticca Sumabhada, dependent origination having to do with past lives, future lives. Well, really, that seems to be how it was taught, but um, the essence of it is the Four Noble Truths, and it's that uh, ignorance of the truth you know, leads us to crave, and craving leads to suffering, basically. But um, you don't apply it because dependent origination is the is the nature of things. It's just the truth. So through the practice of satipatthana, you see this. Don't be confused. The only thing you should be practicing is the satipatthana. Wisdom, things like dependent origination are things that you'll start to see. You'll start to see that things are dependent on other things. There is a relationship when you react in certain ways, it leads to certain results, and you start to incline towards positive results and away from those things that cause you suffering. Sir, what is a good way to measure the meditation, to measure if the meditation sessions are going well? For example, could it be the length of time during a session that I'm able to focus on one of the satipatthanas without being interrupted by one of the hindrances? Reason I ask is so I can measure the correctness and then take corrective steps if required. Well, you can't be aware of anything for more than a moment, so any any sort of duration would be most likely forcing your mind on a, on a single object, so that wouldn't be a good idea. Um, the only way you can really measure it is if is by the moments. How many moments were you clearly aware of something? where you're reminding yourself, this is pain, this is thinking, this is rising, this is falling, this is stepping right, this is lifting, this is placing, that kind of thing. It's the quality of the moments, that's the only real measure. So even if you're just aware of your hindrances, that counts as well? Oh yeah, it's great learning.
Sir, of late I have been mostly bothered by distraction and drowsiness. To remove them I have played with ratios of walking and sitting, as well as the number of objects in sitting and number of phases in walking, sometimes changing them on the fly. Thinking back, today I was able to have two relatively prolonged periods of focus on rising falling after 15 walking, 30 sitting, but with relatively forceful breathing. Is forceful breathing okay? Is the overall approach of experimentation okay? Yeah, I mean, again, you're forcing your mind. You're trying to find a trick to get it to be, get it under control, which is antithetical to the, the actual practice. Um, you being bothered by distraction and drowsiness, well, the problem is that you're bothered by them, that you want to get rid of them. You should say disliking, disliking, or frustrated, or however it appears to you. But um, the idea is not to, to find a trick to get rid of them. The idea is to learn to, st to not give rise to them in the first place. You know, it's not to avoid the opportunity for them to arise, but it's, it's to allow the opportunity for them to arise, but not give, a ri give rise to them. So whatever condition is causing you to become distracted, it's to learn about that situation and learn about the distractions to the extent that you no longer react in that way. If you just find a way to avoid the situation, it doesn't actually solve anything. So any kind of trick that you might have, making it easier, making it better, it's not really going to help you in the long run. It's just trying to control things. Forceful breathing is really bad practice. And your general experimentation, um, no, is also bad practice. If if you're dis if you're really distracted or really drowsy, such that you just can't conquer it, then you would want to change. So if you're sitting, you'd walk. If you're walking, you sit. But otherwise, don't play with the ratio. Keep it equal, because otherwise, it becomes partiality and trying to control, trying to avoid, for example. So we want to learn about our hindrances. They're part of the practice. When you feel drowsy, the only real way to overcome it is to say to yourself, drowsy, drowsy. Who did the Portuguese translation of your booklet? I read it and some parts of it seem like they could be improved. I'm sure I have who it is in my, I don't know offhand who it was, but I have it in my email somewhere. So if you want to get in touch with me, I can put you in contact with them or you know, if you want to help out and improve it that'd be great Do you see any benefit in studying things like reincarnation research Jim Tucker Ian Stevenson or other kinds of research like that that shows that the mind is more than just physical Yeah, sure it's interesting stuff I've sometimes started treating the mind as if I were training a child. For instance, when there's been thinking and I catch it after some seconds, I have started saying to it, now that was thinking. If there's itching, I might say as if I'm speaking to a child, that's the experience of itching. Is this okay? Thank you, Bhante. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, it's more efficient to just say itching, itching. Otherwise, you kinda, it kind of becomes uh, a thing, you know, like... Yeah, you're including the idea of a child, for example, you know, 
where you're adding a tone to it, which we don't really want. It should be as neutral and, and as un, unflavored as possible. What is it? Un, unadulterated, maybe? I, don't, I mean, you don't want to... Again, it's not. there's no trick. Anytime you find yourself find, trying to find a trick, a way to make it better, a way to make it easier, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. It worked for a while, and then it doesn't work, and you wonder, oh, maybe I have to find a new trick. You're trying to control. It's not going to be easy. It's not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to teach you patience, because it's always going to... It's like a child, you know? best way to deal with children is to have no attitude whatsoever. Give them the truth, right? It's the best way to deal with children. So try to keep it neutral. Don't don't try to make it some kind of special noting. Just simply itching, itching, or thinking, thinking. And don't put any tone on it. It's not going to work in the long run. You talked about Kama Yoga last night. Are there any extraneous practices that you would recommend to help overcome or hasten the understanding relating to this problem? Any extra advice or help for anyone dealing with it? That's what this everybody wants to find a quicker way. I mean, okay, yeah, I mean, I do t answer this one quite frequently. You know, that Kama is um, the best way to deal with it outside of Satipatthana. Never forget that that's the best way, but uh, is uh, mindfulness of the body, the parts of the body. So you do mindfulness of the hair, and you focus on the hair, and you say gesa, gesa, or hair, hair, hair. And then you do the 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 body hair, yeah, or the, you know, facial hair or whatever, uh, the nails, the teeth, the skin, and you do one piece by one piece, and you'd start to see that the body is not something worth clinging to. Any kind of sexual attraction is uh, weakened through that. That's the main practice for dealing with uh, se sensual attraction or sexual attraction. Anyway. One thing, I almost always have two through six seconds at the bottom of the falling of the breath, where there is no breath, no rising, no mm. falling. I'm just waiting for the next rise of the stomach. To stop being distracted during this period, I have been noting still, still, or waiting, waiting, mm -hmm. or nothing, nothing. Yeah, that's fine. That's actually correct. But um, at that point, and probably where you are, I can't remember where you are in the course, but at this point we would, once that starts to happen, it's about time to give you the third part. So you would instead say rising, falling, sitting. So switch to being mindful of sitting, rising, falling, sitting. Sitting doesn't have to be between breaths, but sometimes it is. Sometimes there's room. So it doesn't matter. You just switch to sitting, even if the breath continues. So rising, falling, and then switch to sitting. And after you know sitting, then go back and look at the stomach and if uh, wait for it to rise again. Um, but yeah, we'll st we start to give you more objects to be aware of to help because the breath is in... Over time, it becomes insufficient to keep your mind uh, focused. Your mind is able to see the gaps. It's got nothing to do in between. Mm. 
what reason is there to be specific with labeling? For example, if I observe pain or calmness, why use pain, pain, or calm, calm? Wouldn't it be better to inculcate the least conceptual label possible, in other words, feeling in this case? I mean, it's not wrong, but um, pain is, is, is more quick to, it's closer in your mind. I mean, it's all about what brings your mind to the experience. If you're experiencing pain, it's, you don't think of it as a feeling, right? You don't think of it as, oh, I'm, now I'm feeling this thing. It's like, no, now I'm feeling pain. That's, what is that? That's just a feeling. No, no, you think of it as pain. Feeling is more for something that appears to you as just some type of feeling. Pain appears to you as pain. Calm appears to you as calm. So it's not wrong to say feeling, but it's a little more intellectual because it's not the first thing you think of. It's not how you perceive it. You perceive it as pain. That's how we know it. It's not wrong to, to do either one, but it's whatever allows you to quickly remind yourself it is what it is. Through meditation, can you see or experience the heaven or hell realms? Thank you. Depends what type of meditation you're doing. But uh, absolutely, there are lots of meditation. There are meditations that allow you to do that, sure. I don't teach them, but you could read the Visuddhimagga. It's got lots of practices like that. You're all caught up with questions, Bhante, unless somebody didn't put the question mark on it. I'll check. Hmm. How's YouTube doing? How's YouTube up? So the comments on YouTube, they disappear as soon as the live stream is done? I don't know. I think there's just a live chat that people can chat about. Yeah, it seems to right. it seems to go away once the uh, live stream is over. Right. Yeah, they, they aren't actual comments. It's a, just a live chat feature. I see. So people can chat when they should be actually listening to the talk. Maybe I should turn that off. I probably should just turn that off. Because we've got the chat on our site. I'm just going to turn it off. There. Now there's no live, there's no live chat. Alright. Well, then that's all for tonight. Thank you all for tuning in. Thanks, Robin, for all your help. Thank you, Bante. And good night. Good night.